Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you, friends. Again, good morning. I want to share with you uh, the second part of a message. It began last week. And last week, I entitled the message, and I rarely give titles. <laughs> I entitled the me message, Return to the 70s. And it was a little bit of a play on words. The 70s was, uh, how many of you were, I won't even ask you how many of you were, were kids in the time of the 70s. That's going to date all of us. But I actually meant the 70s, the letter D and went through uh, seven areas in our lives, each of them uh, identified with a word that begins with the letter D that, that we should give attention to. They were all actually positive things that we should give attention to. Each of them started with the letter D. And uh, it, if you're interested in hearing that, if you didn't hear the first part, it's, it's on our website on, on the podcast. Today I want to do part two, which connects with it. It comes from a different direction, but it does connect with it. And I entitled this one, Meet the Misses. Meet the Misses. Now, there's a play on words there as well, because I'm not really talking about M-R-S, period. I'm talking about M-I-S-S-E-S. -S -S, meet the Misses. And there are seven misses, <laughs> seven misses that I'll introduce to you today. And these seven misses can impact our lives in dramatic ways if we're not careful. So seven misses. And just let's jump right into this. I want to introduce the, the first miss is, that's miss number one, and that is missed opportunities. Have you ever missed an opportunity in your life? Probably most of us have. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, and also verse 10, it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And then verse 10 is really, in my opinion, it's a challenging verse for every believer. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I think you can see in this translation that it says, as we have opportunity, opportunity. Now, Mark Twain, who was a, really quite a clever author in the 19th century, he lived in, also into the 20th, uh, he once wrote this, and I found this really catchy, and I want to share it with you. He wrote, he said, quote, I was seldom able to see an opportunity until it had ceased to be one. I was seldom able to see an opportunity until it had ceased to be one, end quote. 
And there he's referencing the fact that in his life, being a little bit candid about his life, that there had opportunities that had come through his life at times. And, and you know, he, he, he didn't see that opportunity at the time. And then when he finally sees the opportunity, guess what? The opportunity had passed. The opportunity had passed. A well-known high school dropout and draft dodger with no employable skills, once declared, quote, in the midst of difficulty lies opportunity, end quote. Now, this well-known high school dropout and draft dodger who had no employable skills, uh, you may know him as Albert Einstein. If you check his biography, that's how he was characterized. A high school dropout, he was a draft dodger, he even moved to get away from the draft, a draft dodger, went and lived with relatives to, to avoid the draft in, in this country. And he was characterized as having no employ, you know, employable skills. Now the rest is history on that, isn't it? Can, I, can anyone who say E equals MC square? I mean, the rest is history. Opportunities may be missed at times, but there are reasons sometimes that we miss opportunities. Sometimes we just don't realize it, as Mark Twain said, and that that as the opportunity came, I I was seldom able to see an opportunity until it ceased to be one for me. And Einstein, with all the difficulties he had, in the midst of difficulty lies opportunity. So he saw in the midst of his troubles, his challenges, that, hey, there may be opportunity even there. But we miss them sometimes. We miss opportunities. We miss opportunities for a lot of reasons. As I said, sometimes we just don't recognize the opportunity when it's there. We miss because of rebellion. We miss because of fear. We miss because of laziness. We miss sometimes because we have wrong intentions. We miss sometimes because of blatant sin. We miss sometimes because of apathy. Sometimes we're impatient. And actually, we made a list here. We come up with a very long list of reasons why we can miss good opportunities that come into our lives. And in fact, the Bible contains, if you look at it from the viewpoint of opportunities, the Bible contains many, many examples of missed opportunities. Missed opportunities starting from Gan Eden, from the Garden of Eden, all the way up to the events that are depicted in the Revelation. There are missed opportunities all through. Most of us don't look at Scripture through the idea, of, wow, they missed their opportunity here. He missed his opportunity. She missed her opportunity. They missed their opportunity. And I would suggest that we shouldn't just think of opportunities in a worldly sense. I mean, a worldly sense might be, well, this is a chance for me to get what I want, or this is, now I can make more money, buy a new car, get a new house, or have more things. That's not the only type of opportunities that I'm referencing here today. Because we know clearly that the Lord's plans for us, and let me say this to you directly, the Lord's plan for you today is for good and not for evil. How many of you believe that? His plan for you is for good and not for evil. I'm quoting something he spoke to Israel and by application to us. His plans for us are for good and not for evil, for a future and a hope, it says in Jeremiah. 
God desires his people to succeed, to be successful in life. He desires us to be even more so, to be faithful in his kingdom, in his kingdom economy, be faithful in his kingdom. Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. The many descriptions of Abraham and all the chapters, the 12 or so chapters that talk about Abraham and his life, there are several times where it says something like this in, in Bereshit, Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. Very simple verse, but think about it. It's in the beginning. It's right after Genesis chapter 12 where the call to Avram comes. Go forth from your land, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And then in the very next chapter, in the early part of his life, it says Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And then at the zenith of his life, when he gets to the very end of his life, in Genesis chapter 24, verse 1, notice what it also says about Abraham. It says, and Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. How's that for a testimony? In the very beginning of his life, he knew the success of the Lord. And by the way, I'm going to mention to you that it's not just material success. Would you agree that Abraham, who was the father of faith in a sense, that Abraham, Abraham was successful in the spiritual realm as well, in the kingdom matters, if we would use our terms. Not only was he successful in this world, God wants us to be successful. But he was successful spiritually as well. It says, and notice, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in Genesis 24, verse 1. The Lord had blessed Abraham. Notice these next three words, please. In all things. And let me remind you of a parallel passage in 3 John, verse 2. One of my favorite passages, if you've communicated with me, I probably put this somewhere in the communication over the years. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper. What's the next three words? In all things. You see the connection between the, the, well, the blessing that came upon Abraham and the blessing that's desired, God desires for his people now. I pray that you may prosper in all things. And then the next one, which is good if you're having a physical ailment, Catch this. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. And then here's the rub. Just as your soul prospers. And this passage, and there are many that are dovetail with this, but this passage links our, our spiritual walk with what's happened with us physically. Have you noticed in your life that your spiritual walk has connection to your physical walk? What's happening to you deep inside has a connection to what's going on around you? I certainly have. And yet the list of Bible characters, and you could make your own list, but I made a list of Bible characters that I knew of just from reading the Scripture who missed opportunities of various kinds that Scripture points out to us. And this list is extensive. Let me mention a few names. Adam. Did Adam miss an opportunity? Woo. <laughs> he had things going pretty well back there, didn't he? <laughs> well, we can't say Adam without saying Chava, Eve. Did Eve miss an opportunity? She missed an opportunity. I wonder if she ever ate an apple again the rest of her life. I don't know. <laughs> How about Cain? 
Cain, did he miss an opportunity? He did. God pleaded with, if you look at Genesis chapter 4 and you see how God pleaded with Cain. You know, sin is crouching at the door, Cain. You got to master it. And Cain slew his brother. Hagar, did Hagar miss an opportunity? Sure. She could have got things right there, but she didn't. Ishmael, did he miss an opportunity? Boy, he missed an opportunity. Esau, did Esau miss an opportunity? He missed an opportunity. Did Pharaoh miss an opportunity? What would have happened if Pharaoh had humbled himself and said, Lord, you are the Lord? Who knows? But it says that at least five times it says that he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. And friends, it's not the way, it's not the way to come into prosperity spiritually, physically, or the other way, through a hardened heart. It's got to be a tender heart. Did Korach miss an opportunity? Korach missed an opportunity. He was a Levite with a commission from the Lord. He had his own commission, and he coveted and wanted to overcome Aaron's commission. And there are many other reasons why what happened to Korok Rebellion is still Korok Rebellions occur nowadays. Did Judas miss an opportunity? <laughs> he missed an opportunity, didn't he? Look at the end of his life, the, the fate that came upon him. What ended up happening with him? It was sad and sorrowful. Here he was uh, sitting right next to Yeshua, listening to Yeshua teach and seeing Yeshua's facial expressions and hearing his voice and watching what he did and seeing the miracles and seeing the provision come because guess what? He was involved with the money bag. But he missed an opportunity. How about Gamaliel who's mentioned in the book of Acts? If he would have been even more forceful and said, you know, I think Yeshua is the Messiah, who knows what would have happened? And even despite that, he was a part of a group, and there were increasing numbers of people at that time. The book of Acts tells us among the Pharisees who came to know Yeshua as the Messiah, there was a large contingency. And there's this enigmatic character, his name is Demas. How many of you have heard of Demas? Two hands, all right, good. Curious studies mentioned twice, Demas. And one time it says, Demas is a faithful servant of mine. The next time it says, Demas has left, left us and gone to the world. Describing him, he missed something there. And the list goes on and on and on of people who missed opportunities. And a core issue that can connect all these and really connects forward to us now in our day and age is that if we're going to change the course in our life and enter more into what God really has for us, it's going to take some repentance on our parts. Repentance. Just before this service started, Nancy, and I'm going to point Nancy out here, she spoke this word to me about repentance. And I was sitting there thinking, in fact, I even said to her, are you going to preach the message today? Because she didn't know what I was going to talk about, and she spoke to me about repentance. Repentance, how critical it is. That we repent, that it's a key to our walk of faith. And I would suggest to you, and you think this through, ponder this through, pray this through, but repentance is also key to our spiritual success. And it can be a link to our actual success in this life, that we repent. And when we're unable to repent and have self-correction, we lose something of great value in our life. 
We tend to miss kingdom opportunities when we're not willing to change or be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by the will of men, but by the power of the Holy Spirit to be transformed. We lose something. And when we are unable to repent, soften our heart. And by the way, I'm sure you're aware, this is the month of Elul, the Hebrew calendar month of Elul. As Kevin mentioned, Roy mentioned also, we're coming to the high holy days, to the first day of the month of Tishri. But during this time of Elul, this is a time of introspection and allowing God, actually, I would suggest that all the calendar months are that. But if we're unable to really draw close to God and allow him to work in our life and changes and transforms, you know what? Back to our topic here, we're going to miss godly opportunities in our life. We're going to miss him. We're going we're gonna to say exactly what Mark Twain said. Afterwards, as we look back, I was seldom able to see an opportunity until it had ceased to be. The greatest opportunity of all, I'm going to give you my suggestion as to what I think is the greatest opportunity of all, and it's an equal playing field for all of us. Men, women, young, old, doesn't matter. The greatest opportunity in life that we have is doing God's will there's the opportunity doing his will distinguishes and you know there is a vast difference between doing and not doing God's will vast difference and there's a vast difference in the results that come forward doing God's will not doing God's will And repentance is key here because repentance keeps us on the straight and the narrow track of life when we repent. Has God ever had to tweak your life some? (laughs) Only one hand went up on that one, but it went up quickly. (laughs) And repentance will help keep us on that straight and narrow track of life. And it has to come from the Lord. It has to come from his spirit that he convicts us. And we should be thankful for conviction when it comes to us. Here's what Echa says, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 39. Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Verse 40, Lamentations 3. It says this. It's in the plural form, by the way. Let us search out and examine our ways. Do you know it doesn't say let us search out and examine our neighbor's ways. It says, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. And verse 41 has always struck me. Notice the priority, at least the the progression here. It says, let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. And when our hearts are really lifted to God, our hands fly up pretty quickly after. At least mine do. My hands fly up quickly when my heart's there. That is, and, and Jeremiah wrote at the most terrible time in Israel's history, perhaps up to that point, a regathered history of Israel as he's watching Jerusalem, Jerusalem being destroyed. And he sees it coming and he knows it's coming and he's been warning them about it. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 says, it gives us a warning. 
It mentions one of the people I mentioned in my list of folks who missed opportunities that are in Scripture. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, and then it mentions someone like Esau. Like Esau, who for one morsel of food, bowl of pottage, a bowl of lentils, bowl of beans, for one morsel of food, he sold his birthright. Verse 17 is harrowing. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance. His change of heart about all this came too late. Don't let your change of heart come too late. Get it right as quickly as you can. Found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently and even cried with tears. So, missed number one is missed opportunity. So, let me quickly go now to the second miss. I want to introduce you to miss number two. Miss number two is misguided emotions. Misguided emotions. Our emotions can be a very helpful thing. <laughs> I'm taking the positive angle on this. <laughs> that could be a helpful kingdom tool, our emotions. After all, believers, as believers, if you're a believer hearing these words, then you should be excited about the Lord. Be immersed in the spirit, not immersed in vinegar or something like that. You should be excited about the Lord. You should be fervent in your love for God and for one another. And we should, as Rob Shaul said, and the emphasis was clearly from him, he said, we should rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The emphasis being rejoicing. But sometimes our emotions get misguided. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 2, it exhorts us and it says this. It says, set your mind, set your mind. I love the King James Version of this. It says, set your affections on things above not on things on the earth have you ever had misplaced affections set your affections your emotion your inner being that direction towards the lord and and you know he says in matthew 6 33 that if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness guess what all the other things that he really wants you to have will come to you Set your mind, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Messiah and God. When Messiah, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Now, there was a pastor one time who had a little trouble going on in his congregation, and he wanted to take this part literally. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. But it's not talking about people here. It's talking about what's going on inside of us, our physical beings. Fornication. Put these things to death. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And notice what it says about coveting things. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Most of us will say, I am not an idolater. Are we not coveting? <laughs> Verse 6, 
Colossians 3, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So be careful, please, how you invest your emotions, where you place your affections, what you bank on in your mind, what you you dwell on in your mind, because misguided emotions and thoughts can cause hurt not only to the person that's thinking them or misplacing emotion, but also beyond them. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, and many of you have this memorized, says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And many of us know Proverbs 4, verse 23. It says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart, how? With all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Now I want to introduce you to miss number three. <laughs> miss number three is misspoken words. Anyone do that this week? Any misspoken words this week? Yeah. Who's being honest about it? (laughs) I think we all can agree that at times in our lives, we have misspoken. We've erred in speech. Words have slipped out. Had that happened this week, it wasn't something that I said, although that wouldn't be too surprising. But someone nearby to me was speaking, and they cussed. And I was like in shock. They cussed. I thought, ooh, that's really getting down to it, isn't it? And conviction set in, I'm sure, a little later. <laughs> but So words can slip out. Sometimes they're not the most edifying words, yet they do tend to come forth from us. And they can be very damaging, can't they? Damaging to ourselves, damaging to others. It's important for all believers to grow, to grow in communication skills. And if you're like me, that is a constant challenge growing in communication skills, to learn to speak, as it were, edifying things, things that the hearer is going to be blessed with as they hear it, and to encourage one another, that can be a challenge. It's pretty easy to be discouraged yourself and then find yourself speaking discouraging words to those around you, transferring your discouragement to others around you. And as we are able to be more edifying in our speech, our witness for Messiah strengthens, grows stronger. The book of Proverbs has been studied much concerning speaking. How many of you noticed as you read Proverbs, it says a lot about the tongue, tongue, many things about the tongue. It says if Solomon kind of, and the writer there seem to understand that this, this thing, like James said, it's like a fire sometimes. It's like a fire. It can be set on hellfire, it says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 seems to sum up the matter from a new covenant perspective, which does go along with what we read in the Tanakh. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And then there's also a very important part of Jewish liturgy, Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Will you read that with me? I think it's on the PowerPoint. Do we have it? No, I guess not. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Number four of seven. Here's another miss. I want to introduce you to this miss. Miss number four. Misappropriated funds. Number four. Let's Mark chapter 12, verse 13 says, Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to Yeshua, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay? Shall we not pay? And it continues in verse 15 of Mark chapter 12. But Yeshua, (laughs) Yeshua knowing their hypocrisy said to them, why do you test me? Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it and he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Yeshua answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And it makes this comment at the end of the verse. It says, and they marveled at him. They literally were amazed at him. He said one of his most famous quotes, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It is true for all of us, we do need finances. We need a way to get through life, to pay bills, to do those kind of things. It's also a fact that the enemy of our soul knows quite well. And if we read Scripture correctly, he expends a lot of energy, and he will continue to expend a lot of energy in that area. And the the enemy's efforts are foretold in the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Begin with verse 16. It says, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. In verse 17 of Revelation 13, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. In verse 18 of Revelation 13 says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So rather than emphasizing what the enemy wants to do, Revelation seems to point to, and there's many different ways to interpret this, but at least it says this, that he wants all humanity to have the mark of the beast. But let's render unto God what belongs to God by investing our resources into the kingdom at this time in life. Let's invest into God's kingdom work. The enemy wants to totally take control of the realm of finances, the economy, to the point of absolutely controlling every single one of us so that we can't even eat. Do I understand how all this is going to happen? You know what? 
Way back when, when I was younger, it seemed like that was an impossibility. How could he possibly do this? Look, we're so scattered, so many different nations, etc. But then things started to happen across the face of the earth. They talked about the European Union way back when I was a kid. The European Union, well, I've actually visited now the real European Union. It's there. These nations have con, 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 came together. European Union, they can travel freely around that area. It's there. They have a common currency, although some don't want to use it, but it's, it's usable in all of the European Union, the euro. It's there. It's happening. There are other things going on as well. And then there was, when I was young, and some of you will remember this, but when we went to the local grocery store there, we paid with cash, and there was a little machine, a little piece of paper came up, and they would plug in each, each price, 99 cents, 22 cents, 13, and then total it out, and they gave you a little sheet that put the total out. What do we do now? We scan things. They all have scan things on them. I don't even know what you call them, marks. <laughs> What it says in Revelation 13 says, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast. And frankly, and I'm trying to express to you that when I was young, this seemed so far out that it was not a possibility. Now when I look at it, after some water's gone under the proverbial bridge of life for me, I realize this, this, this stuff can happen. What Scripture says can, can really happen. It can happen quicker than we think. My advocacy to you today, let's invest in God's kingdom. Let's take the, the things of this world, invest them in God's kingdom. The finances he provides for us, invest them in God's kingdom, not in the other one. Make wise investments with that which he provides for you. In other words, as Yeshua said, be faithful with the least, which is mammon. And if you do that, you will be faithful with the greatest. Investing materially in the kingdom of God is another way of doing what James chapter 4, verse 7 commands. It says, resist the devil. I look at investing in the kingdom as a way of resisting the, the ways of the devil who wants to control all financial stuff. And I say, no, this is under God's control. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And if we misappropriate the Lord's tithes or do similar acts of unfaithfulness, we're not really rendering unto God what is God's or seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're doing something different. We're doing our own thing, really. Now, it's enough on Miss 4. Now, here's Miss 5. <laughs> this is a toughie. Miss number 5, mistaken decisions. Any of you ever made a bad decision? <laughs> yes, we have. So, let's face it. We, we have not always made the best decisions in life. I think it's pretty obvious, and that's probably true for you as it is for me. We can't make better decisions, though. There is a way to make better decisions according to Scripture, and actually it involves placing Scripture as central to our decision-making process. Psalm 119, 105 proclaims, 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And in fact, all of Psalm 119, you're welcome to read it when you have a spare week or two to read the whole psalm, but all Psalm 119 puts the place of God's word in our lives and in making good decisions at a a high point. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, how can a young man cleanse his way? How can a young man cleanse his way? And then he responds, it says, by taking heed according to your word, O God. Psalm 119 verse 16 says, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. When you're decision-making, don't forget God's word. Consult God's word. What does God's word say? Seek by the power of the Spirit to apply that to your life. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And then verse 17, such a tender verse. Deal bountifully with your servant. And you notice he doesn't say deal meagerly with your servant. He wanted all God had for him. Do you want all God has for you today? Do you want everything he has for you? I hope so. Deal bountifully with your servant. And then he concludes and says that I may live and keep your word. Live and keep your word. So if we act in accord with God's word, we won't make the bad decisions that we have made. And we've all made them. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have, all have made bad decisions and fallen short of what God really had for them. How good is God to cause all things to work together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Miss number six of seven, misjudgments, misjudging. Now, this really goes hand in hand with decision-making. You know, we can misjudge people. Have you ever misjudged someone? You can misjudge people. You can misjudge their words, their motives, their actions. And you know, and I've heard this so many times over the years that it really is surprising. But we can also misjudge God. How many of you have heard God blame for things he didn't do? I have. We can misjudge him. Cast judgment on God. Blame him for things that were really the the result of the atrocities which mankind did. Humans did these things. And Yeshua, in speaking to some of those who gathered around him in Yochanan, John chapter 7, verse 24, gave us this commandment. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Charm is deceitful, as it says in Proverbs 31. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And a favorite quote about judging is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Where Samuel says, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? He looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We should make sure that we are judging with righteous judgment that is for the kingdom of God, not what's convenient for us, but kingdom, for the kingdom of God.
And we are not to be partial in our judgment. The Torah speaks about last week's Torah portion and other places in the Torah. It speaks about not being partial in judgment. You have to judge good judgment, righteous judgment that's impartial for others. And I'll, I'll leave that number six to conclude with number seven here. A seven, I want to meet, uh, introduce to you Miss number seven. <laughs> Miss number seven is mismanaged relationships. Mismanaged relationships. Is anyone here guilty of mismanaging a relationship? <laughs> anyone not guilty of that? Oh, I want your prayer later. <laughs> but our lives are full of relationships. There are even some that try to get away from relationships, but you can't. You can't get away from relationships. They're there. At the very least, which is actually the greatest, there's this relationship the vertical relationship with God. And you can't, where can you flee from him, as Psalm 139 says? You're going to go to the depths of the earth, behold, he's there. You're going to go underneath the seas, behold, he's there. You're going to go to the farthest reaches of the universe, behold, he's there. So at the very least, we have that kind of relationship, the vertical relationship with the Lord. But we also have family relationships and siblings. In some cases, we have a spouse we have a spiritual community. We have neighbors, people who live next door to us. I've never met anyone yet that didn't have a neighbor. Sometimes the neighbor's far away, other times near, but there's a neighbor. We have government that we have to relate to, government officials. We have society in general we need to relate to. It's important to not mismanage relationships. And when we start doing that, to kind of step back and try to get, get things in a better place. But alas, we have all mismanaged relationships. But the one that we dare not mismanage is our relationship with the Lord. Let's keep him first and foremost. If we do that, things will be good for us. He will guide us and direct us. He'll extend grace and mercy to us where we need it most because he's merciful. And he's good and he's kind and he's just. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. If you're here today and you don't really feel like you have peace with God, you don't have a good spiritual relationship, turn to the Messiah. Ask for his help. Let him come to you. Let him respond to your prayers. We have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And it continues in verse 3 of Romans chapter 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. <laughs> Boy, how this could change. And we also kvetch in the middle of tribulations. We complain in tribulations. We have a pity party in the middle of tribulations. I mean, you figure it out. Many different ways to go. But what does the apostle right here, Rav Shaul, he says, we also glory in tribulation. And I think the only way we can do that is when we recognize that God is God and he is sovereign. And we belong to him. And his will must be done above our own. 
Not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Yeshua died for the ungodly. Truth is, Messiah paid a great price for you, for all of us. He paid a great price not for his own mistakes or sins or his own mismanagements of anything. He paid a great price for you and for me. He's the spotless Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He suffered for us. He went through all that he did for us. He was without sin. He was blameless. Nary a word astray, did he say. His judgments were perfect. His ways were blameless. Everything he did was blameless. He said, Satan has come for me. He has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. He went through all that for you today. All that he went through. And he grants us mercy, the mercy to repent in all the areas that we have messed up. It's not that we live in the past and keep repeating and going over and self-flagellating about past things we've done. But he grants us mercy to repent day by day. So when we are convicted, we will repent. And let us be quick to do that when we are convicted. Romans chapter 2 verse 3 says, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? And verse 4, in my opinion, is a powerful verse. Or you, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It's God's goodness that allows us to repent, to turn to him, get things right, get rid of all these misses that we have in life and go forward and walk this straight and narrow. So friends here today, beware of the seven misses. And there are other misses that we could introduce you to, but beware of them. Ask God for grace to be blameless in this day and age to be blameless in every area. Watch for the seven misses, missed opportunities and misguided emotions and misspoken words and misappropriated funds and mistaken decisions and misjudgments and mismanaged relationships. Watch for those and ask God for help in each of those. And today as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I, I pray it will be particularly meaning for all who choose to do so, to realize that Yeshua did this for us. And these are symbols here of what he did. The cup, the unleavened bread, symbols of him and who he is and who he is for us now. He wants to lead us in the way everlasting by the power of his spirit. Will you please rise? You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place. 
north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.